0: All right, Chili, I'm a little nervous standing on this (laughs) idolatrous piece of wood here. Uh, It's portraying me in a way that I've never been betrayed before. A man with height and substance. Now, uh, there's one of my favorite Bible verses. I was going to save you from it. This morning, but in light of these turn of events, I think all of you would benefit from this particular verse. Comes out of 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. Now that's a real Bible message. If you thought I just made that up on the fly, no, no, I did not. It is a privilege and honor to be before you again. I was... uh, uh, really excited about my time with you a few weeks ago, and I thank the Lord for this privilege to be in your midst today. I see that Pastor Joe and his beautiful wife Karen—they're not here. I think they're on their way to a casino in South Dakota. <laughs> uh, I told them last night if they're successful in winning a lot of money, that. Uh, Of course, the church should get 10%, but I should get the rest of the money. But at any rate, uh, we won't go there. But the next time you see them, ask them if they had a great time at the casino. No, they didn't go to the casino. They took their son off to Timberley. Um, I am pleased by far as enough. Well, before I say that, some people thought that I needed some help today since I did such a bad job two weeks ago. And so I see my friends from Great Oaks Camp are in the house today. Thank you for being here. Let's have it. The staff is here. You know, uh, yesterday I had the privilege of playing golf with Tyler King, the executive director of the camp. And, you know, we had a very spirited golf contest. Uh, He thought he was competing with me and vice versa until a few times I saw him kicking his ball behind the tree into the fairway. And I immediately instructed Tyler that that is not proper golfing etiquette. And what he said to me is, I can't hit my ball behind a tree. Well, Tyler, you did not beat me yesterday. I just want to tell you that. God loves you, but I don't. Well, church, I'm pleased to announce that I had a spectacular Father's Day. What about you guys? Did fathers, do did you have a good day? Yeah. All right, now. All right. All right. I see some smiles in the crowd. Uh, and, and I wonder, how many of you took the opportunity to participate in the 12-day challenge by raising hands? And, oh, okay. I see those hands. Well, if you'd like to, after the service, uh, just... Let me know how uh, your time with the Lord went through those 12 days. I'd love to hear about that. Uh, Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to stand tall amongst these people today. Lord, that you would replace uh, my words, Lord, with yours. That, Lord, that the words that are spoken with, Lord, challenge and encourage and stimulate growth in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I want to talk to you today about a topic that, in all honesty, we all struggle with at some points in our lives, and it's probably difficult for us to admit to it. The topic is pride how we succumb to it, how we allow ourselves to be compromised by it, and the important life lessons we can apply as we seek to honor the Lord and trust in him. Our world gives this this false advertisement that we are the masters of our destiny, the keepers of our souls, and we tend to believe and perpetuate that mindset, but God in his word is very clear that he opposes the proud, and in some cases, he punishes those people. This morning, I wanna focus on an individual who allowed his God-given abilities and talents to be compromised by his desire to be self-seeking, self-promoting. Prideful and arrogant. His name is Saul. Now, before I go any further, is anyone in this group named Saul? Do you know a Saul? Okay, I'll be careful. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, please turn to First Samuel thirteen. First Samuel chapter thirteen. That would be First Samuel chapter. 13, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 15. Okay? Samuel was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel 42 years. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel, 2,000 with him at Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan at Ginbeth in Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. Jonathan attacked the Philistine outposts at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outposts, and now Israel has become obnoxious to the Philistines, and the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon, when the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard pressed. They hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gildad. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, and Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done, asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering, and, and they did not come at the set time... And, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor, so I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You've done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now... Your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Then Samuel left Gilgal and went up to Gethban in Bethlehem and Benjamin and Saul counted the men who were with him. They numbered about 600. 600. Remember that number. Let's be honest, how many of you have been in that state of affairs before, where Saul has been? Brother Saul, brother Saul, brother Saul, far from it be to me to be a Saul hater, but we know King Saul to be failure prone, prideful, insecure, and certainly one of the most disappointing character leaders in the Bible. Yet, he does possess some enduring qualities. What we know from Scripture is that Saul is the first king of Israel, a tall man with handsome features. Women like tall and handsome men, this I know. (coughs) He was... Probably adorned by all the ladies, he was known for his courage and generosity. But unfortunately for Brother Saul, the positive ends here, church. If we backtrack to 1 Samuel chapter 8, we find that he is anointed king of Israel by Samuel the Gandalf of his day. Saul in chapter 8 is busy drafting the best and brightest His war initiatives are exceeding. Uh, He is the man. He's large and in charge. When someone says his name, the Amalekites people tremble in fear. He has the ear and attention of the top-tier leaders, both religious and political, in Israel. He is large and in charge. I would imagine this. If Saul had an F-150 he would probably have two of them. And he'd probably have them on raised wheels, sitting in his garage with a decked out carriage. If Saul had a home like I thought he would, he'd probably have it decked out so MTV Cribs would come by and check it out. See, in chapter 8, he's living large and in charge, but as we fast forward to chapter 13, unfortunately for him, the number 13 is a bad omen, Things begun to unravel for Saul. Turn to your neighbor to the right and to the left and say, Saul, Saul, you're about to fall. Okay, I'll give you a C minus on that one. All right, don't worry, I'll give you another chance in the service to get it together. Okay, but that was pretty good. C minus, we're getting there. Brothers and sisters, please hear me carefully. The fall of Saul doesn't occur in one catastrophic event. It happens suddenly when a leader allows his needs and fears to outrun their judgments. Many of us today are indeed led by two very powerful emotions, fear and desire. We often find ourselves in trouble over and over again because of these. Some of us run from what God is calling us to do instead of pursuing and running to the right thing. We need to trust and rely upon the Lord. To provide a further backdrop to the text, Saul and his son Jonathan are on the cusp of engaging the Philistines. Now, I've been to Egypt three times, and I've witnessed first-time images of the Philistines. They're some of the meanest, biggest, ugliest-looking folk God ever created. Now, Saul and Jonathan had assembled 3,000 of their elite forces. See, they have the SEAL Team 6 of their day with them. John John, that's Jonathan, had initiated a skirmish at Geba. He put a beatdown of beatdowns on them, and now the Philistines regroup. They're armed for war and for massive throwdown. Verse 5 says again, the Philistines assembled to fight Israel. 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as sand on the seashore. Wow, we're talking hundreds and thousands of folks. That's a pretty significant show. Now, what do Saul and his brave 3,000 do? (laughs) Here we go, verse 6. When the men of Israel saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid (laughs) in caves and thickets among the rocks and pits and cisterns, some Hebrews, even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Oh, no. <laughs> what do these brave 3,000 do? It's time to bail. Every man, woman, and child for themselves. <laughs> wow. The elite force. They're running. They're scared. Bravery's out the window. <laughs> wow. Now, <laughs> let me confess something to you right now. This may surprise some of you. This may utterly shock some of you, but I've gotten myself in trouble a few times growing up by running my mouth and biting off more than I could chew. One particular day, I was innocently doing a little bit of trash talking. Innocently trash talking, I don't know. I was really misunderstood, church. I was misunderstood. I Saw this beautiful girl in class, and we began to exchange notes. And unbeknownst to me, this beautiful girl had, at the time, a five foot eleven boyfriend that I didn't know about. And uh, as a result of that engagement, he invited me to another engagement to meet him uh, in the playground uh, to settle up via fight after school. Now, I don't know about you faced with that particular circumstance, but I sat in class praying, church. I, Lord, Lord, Jesus, please stop time from moving. I don't, I don't want that bell to ring. Uh, my opponent, as I said earlier, one of the biggest, baddest, ugliest guys in the school. So I began to do my research. I did my research. See, I, I assessed the situation. Could I take him? Mm, I don't I sized them up. Okay, maybe I could. Calculated my odds for victory. (laughs) And then at that time, I wrote my last will and testament. I want my mama to bury me like this. I want my brother not to get this. I want my other brother not to get that. (laughs) And I came to the conclusion, the the calculation, that I had a, a number of options in front of me, church. See, I I, I, I could have stayed there and fought, you know, uh, Mike Tyson kind of like, but, you know, no, I couldn't get a punch up to his face. <laughs> I came up to the best conclusion. It was time to run. <laughs> and I ran as fast as my little legs can carry me when the bell rung that day. I laid low at home playing the sick card for three days. I would not get out of bed. So when the text says that Saul holed up in chapter 13, verse 7, quaking and trembling with fear, I can relate to that. Can any of you? Saul fall happens because he decides to take matters into his own hands instead of waiting on the instructions he was given by Samuel. In chapter 10, Verse 8, Samuel provides explicit instructions for Saul to follow. Wait seven days. I will join you. We'll sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. When I arrive, I will give you further instructions. Okay, here's another chance, church, to move up from that C-minus that we got earlier. Turn to your neighbor to the right and to the left and say, Do you see some Saul in me? have improved our grade. We are hovering at that B plus, A minus range. All right, great job, church. If we were honest in answering that question in our hearts our hearts, the majority of us would answer that question yes. And why? Because we truly don't in all things follow the instructions that God has carefully laid out for us. Sometimes we're more apt to make excuses and take shortcuts. And when it's in the best interest of our own agendas, incorporate this particular slogan, the means justify the ends. There have been times when we felt God urging us to not do something yet we often find ourselves making the decision to blatantly decide to do what we want to do because we think we know better than God. Maybe you felt promptings that say, maybe, Brother Jeff, or Sister Sue, or Antonio, you shouldn't go to that location tonight. You should stay home. Be with your family. You should be studying or be at church. Then you disregard the urge and say to yourself to be true to the Burger King jingle, no, 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 no. I'm going to have it my way instead of God's way. Some of us are in relations we shouldn't be in. They are not Christ followers, and yet we want to marry them, and we're going to change them, right? No, that's not right. These people take our focus away from what is important in a critical season of our lives, relationships that lead us directly down the wrong path. The reality is this. No matter how good we attempt to portray ourselves, we oftentimes do whatever we want to do, forsaking what God has instructed and directed us to do. Verses 11 and 12 says the following. What have you done? Asked Samuel. Saul replied, uh, Reverend, uh, when I saw the men were scattering and you didn't come at the set time and, and the Philistines were saddling at, at Michmash, I, I thought, I thought now that the Philistines would come down against me at Gilgal and, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offerings. When Samuel asked the question, What have you done? Saul was immediately given an opportunity to own up, to take responsibility. At that critical moment, he could have made amends to confess an unfortunate decision that he made, seek forgiveness, and make it right, but instead he played the excuse card. Interesting. When Samuel asked Saul, what have you done? Saul pulled out. An excuse card. Brother Samuel, (laughs) folks were bailing on me. I I had to do something. Even though it wasn't what you instructed me to do. Hey, Reverend, you were late to this party. If you would have been here on time, I wouldn't have had to do what I had to do. It's your fault I did what I had to do. I couldn't have these brave 3,000 lose heart and trust and hope in me. But Saul, Saul, you lost hope in the Lord. And so you took the opportunity to make yourself look like a priest. You played a card that wasn't yours to play in the first place. Some of us have further damaged relationships because we refuse to turn our hearts to admit to guilt. Some of you think that you're in too deep, that you're trapped, that since you did it once or you did it twice or three times, you you have to keep doing it. Some of us have and are failing at work or school because we don't want to take responsibility for our actions. Put the Xbox One down. Stop watching 50, 60 hours of Netflix. We blame it all on our boss or co-workers as if their job is to make our life miserable by holding us accountable. The point is, instead of pointing the finger at ourselves when we are wrong, because of pride, we never own up to our mistakes. That's all the Lord wants us to do, church. That's why he gave his life for each and every one of us to admit that we were headed in the wrong direction and to give him a second chance, to give us a chance for life. In verse 13, Samuel calls it like he sees it. You have done a foolish thing. Saul was foolish and it cost him his kingdom. Brothers and sisters like Saul, we can tend to gloss over and make excuses for our behavior and our actions. It's easier and more convenient to blame other people and our circumstances rather than claim our responsibilities when we misstep. Therein lies the problem. Sometimes we do this because we are ashamed. We haven't done the right thing. We never want people to know just how messed up we truly are. But we all are messed up. We all are broken vessels. That's why Christ entered the world, church. To redeem us. To recast us. But sometimes the problem with this mindset is we're playing cat-and-mouse games, trying to point the finger of blame. And when we don't lean into God's love and forgiveness, you're never brought to a place where you can actually find that forgiveness and grace and true, authentic love that God has for each and every one of us. We, in turn, make things worse for ourselves because our hearts are never actually contrite before the Lord. And like Brother Saul, we remain in a state of despair. Please hear me. I'm not talking about perfection. We're prone to make mistakes. Like Saul, it can rob us of who we are and cripple our development if we justify and live into them, Saul didn't lose his kingdom because he made practical, political, and military errors. He lost his power because he failed to realize who gave it to him in the first place. He allowed fear and insecurity and pride to be his constant companions instead of following the Lord's instruction laid out for his success. Brothers and sisters, Saul slid from humility and success to pride and failure. Chili, and I'm about to close. Don't allow fear and desire to trump the decisions in your life. If you're in a bad situation now, take the steps to get out of it. If you need to admit and repent to someone, do it. If you need to make better decisions, seek out God's counsel and focus on God's word. Don't rob yourself and allow excuses, lies, pride to dominate who God has called you to be. May we allow God's love and power and his redeeming word to fulfill our hearts and direct our paths to his glory and for our good. Amen. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I sense there are people in this room who want to flee from pride, from making excuses. You may feel a sense of entrapment given the particular circumstance in their life that they're dealing with. And, Lord, they may be hesitant as even now your Holy Spirit is convicting them, instructing them, directing them to turn away from that and to turn to you. Lord, I pray in the next 24 to 48 hours that they will begin, Lord, to take that step. That step of faith, Father that would allow them to escape the pit that they're in from the places that they've been hiving in, the places that they've been trapped in, and allow, Lord, your spirit to direct them and to comfort them. Lord God, we need you at such a time as this when our world is messed up, when our communities are at times at war against one another. Lord, we need your power and your love. Lord, you said we are Christians, not by what we do or what we say, but by our love. Let us demonstrate that. And Lord, I thank you for this church. May you continue to bless the pastor his family, uh, the leadership, the elders, worship team, the deacons, all who contribute in making Chillicothe a place in which your spirit dwells. Lord God, we give you praise and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.